0: The Kings are the Kings. And he wins it back oh. to Bowley. Scores! Oh my, no oh my! No way! This with is is... no time remaining! Great pass from Dowdy down low. And they score! Gregstrom
1: in game number one has tied it with his first NHL goal. Wagner down the middle scores! Wagner, here's Luff looking for his first,
0: scores! Not first NHL goal, and the Kings have lead. What's Luff got to do with it? Welcome to Crown Conversations. A Jewels from the Crown LA Kings fan hockey podcast. Joining me today is highly esteemed managing editor, Sarah A. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how's your offseason going?
1: Weirdly enough, like it's it it's almost over. <laughs> which sounds insane but like prospect stuff is starting like now which means that camp is going to start and then the preseason is going to start so it's almost like I had no time off at all so my my off season has been great but shorter than I thought it would be and we didn't even have playoffs to worry about
0: how could your off season be super short when it's been going on since January true that's a very good burn <laughs> sorry (laughs) apologies to the LA Kings if you're listening I don't think they
1: deserve apologies
0: they were just really bad last year and you could tell by February they all gave up they were just like or at least the veterans were just like screw it I'm done the season is over I mean same I mean I guess like Jonathan Quick was still trying And maybe Drew Doughty, but I think Drew Doughty was trying too hard, and, well, that's just typical Drew. (laughs) Oh, Drew. And now for some news. Since we last talked, I think it was actually, what, a day or two later, Alex Iafalo signed with the kings for like 225 i think a year or 235 was his aav something like that
1: yeah um it total 4.85 million split over two years with with a little bit of uh difference between year 1 and year 2 year 1 is 2.4 million and year 2 is 2.45 million
0: okay so he signed for a shade under AAV and since we thought he was going to get somewhere around three million I think that's pretty good
1: yeah I thought it's fine especially considering who you would compare him to um when I wrote about his new contract on the site um the first comparable that jumps out is Jimmy Veazey who is also a player who came out of college um was very highly touted like hasn't exactly lived up to all of the hype but also has you know, been a fairly good player on a bad team. Uh, sound familiar? Um, he, I, I follow, and VZ both have pretty much very similar amounts of games played, amounts of points uh, that they put up through their careers. Um, for a guy who is playing on the first line, whether or not we believe he should be there or not, less than $2.5 million a year is a steal. And those are the kind of players you need to have if you're going to have huge contracts like drew dowdy's and uh kopitar's on your books so i think it's more than fair it's it could with all the terrible contracts that were given out in free agency um i'd much prefer this
0: that's a really good point point. and we will touch on free agency in which the kings were not exactly busy but they weren't totally idle either we'll get to that in a minute but You said that Alex Ayafalo plays on the first line, whether or not we believe he should be there. So he's getting paid, like, a fourth liner to essentially play on the first line. I guess you could say that this is more or less a prove-it contract for Ayafalo. It's a half reward and half prove-it. Like, his first year, he came out of the gates super strong and... I like to call him our golden retriever because he does all the little things with puck retrieval and he's just like super energetic. And I think he brings a really good energy to that top line. But he doesn't score a lot of points. Like, I think his first year, it took him until what, December to score a goal, which when you're playing alongside Andrzej Kobitar, that's kind of almost unacceptable. So do you think he actually should be on the first line, especially since he's getting paid like a fourth liner?
1: I think that in an ideal world, he would be like a second or third line guy. Um, He clearly has the skill to be on the first line. Like he's not going out there every night and getting lit up, you know, which is good. Um, But he's the kind of player you'd want in your kind of middle six to be able to provide you more depth and maybe he would be able to score a little more when he's not going up against other teams, top lines every night. Um, But the eternal mystery of the Kings is why they can't ever find someone to play on Kopitar's wing. Uh, So I feel like he's gotten stuck there a little by default just because none of the other people that they've brought in over all of the however many years this has been going on have really lasted there for whatever secret reasons. Uh, so, yeah, ideally he gets bumped down to provide more depth, but unless they find someone who plays with Kopitar well, like, he might be there forever.
0: Well, with Tanner Pearson gone, who is the second line left wing? please don't say Kyle Clifford or Trevor Lewis or God forbid, I will kill you. If you say Adrian Kempe, (laughs)
1: Um, maybe one of the new guys, you know, maybe I know Anderson Dolan is a center, but I know he could play wing. Uh, I know the idea is that Kupari is going to spend more time in Ontario to get used to North America, but he's another guy who, if he has a good training camp could really push to be there Um, Or maybe I think Matt loves a right right wing. But I mean, let's get crazy. Let's just put people wherever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I I know they they've talked about moving Jeff Carter to wing, which if last year is actually the way that he's going to be and not an anomaly, like, yeah, he definitely needs to not be the center anymore. But then who's going to be the other centers? It's going to be a mystery.
0: It's going to be Adrian Kempe. Yay! <laughs> that was almost convincing, Sarah. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I I do love Adrian Kempe. And especially how extra his whole personality is. Um, he's, outside of True Daddy, I think he probably has the most outgoing personality. Or at least the most public persona on the team in that sense. That he's like, this is who I am. Whatever, I don't I don't care. Like whatever. Um but he's not a center. As much as I love Adrian Kempe and especially love his super extra personality and sort of how laid back and carefree he is, he's just not a good center. And he takes a lot of penalties. Adrian, my son, I love you. But please and especially in the offensive zone. Like, just stop. I I don't know how to say it any other way other than, what are you doing? And can you stop doing that?
1: I feel like he got a little better with the penalties as the season went on, but still not ideal, especially from someone who is playing up on the second line and who you want to have Out actually doing things. Um, I know there was that quote a couple years ago from um, Mike Stothers when Kempe was still in Ontario, where he basically said, "Like if you move your feet, you're the best player on the ice," Um, which you know at at the AHL level means something different than an NHL level. But uh, I feel like a lot of his penalties were kind of of the dumb, like you stop playing, you stop, and you just start having to like throw your stick around or like grab a guy because you stopped moving your feet. Um, and so I feel like he eventually sort of clued into it, but like the beginning of the season was just brutal. Like every time you turned around, he was in the penalty box and the penalty kill was bad. So no, thank you, Adrian.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But also it's, it's just kind of, if you're going to be a center, which is a really critical role in today's NHL, you can't be sitting in the penalty box and you can't be over there taking these really dumb offensive zone penalties, especially.
1: But if you want really good workout videos, uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram because that's basically his entire summer content and aesthetic is working out. So (laughs) there's your, there's your un-hockey related content for, for the evening.
0: Yeah, one of my uh, favorite Instagram follows, and I was debating about whether or not I should bring this up, but one of my favorite Instagram follows is at King Kempe, which is obviously a an Adrian Kempe uh, fan account, and they always post the most interesting things um, in their stories. They had, um, I don't know how these people do it, but. They, like, take somebody else's video and then put it in their own stories. And they're like, hey, go check out so-and-so's story. Or so-and-so's Instagram post. Anyway, so they have this crazy summer workout from Adrian Kempe. Well, it's Adrian and Mario, his brother. And they're, they're working out over there in Sweden. And they have this one exercise that they were doing that's completely insane to me they were laying face down on the floor well i guess sort of kneeling um and then they had to like touch their forehead to this block of some sort without using their hands to help them and then just basically do like a reverse crunch and i was looking at that going holy crap that's really insane
1: I'm in pain just thinking about that still.
0: Well, at least we know he's got really good core strength.
1: <laughs> good job, Adrian.
0: That is a must if you're a hockey player, though. So <laughs> we are very proud of you, Mr. Kempe. All right. Moving on from Adrian Kempe's summer workouts, um, going back to free agency, which we sort of touched on a little bit earlier. The Kings did make a couple of moves with some some depth signings, or well, they're most likely depth signings, especially because you kind of you look at those names and you go, "Who?" If they're not depth signings,
1: we're in trouble. Let's put it that way. Uh, so the two guys they signed, one was uh, Joachim Ryan, who is a defenseman who played with the Sharks. His previous years in his career. Kind of played up and down their lineup. Uh, He spent some time playing on the top pairing with Brent Burns. um, And then Pete DeBoer kind of decided he didn't like him anymore uh, and sort of scratched him and eventually healthy scratched him a lot. Um, He's a guy who exists, which I feel like is all of the Kings defensemen at this point outside of Drew Dowdy and maybe even including Drew Dowdy if you think his uh, performance last season is a... A tale of things to come. Uh, he he would be a fine seventh defenseman. I don't know that we needed a, another seventh defenseman, but okay, sure. Um, and if not, he will, they will try to sneak him through waivers and send him to Ontario to be um, one of the only veteran players there because it's all a bunch of young kids again. And then the other guy they signed was Martin Firk, who I, as someone who has spent a lot of time watching the AHL, have always liked. Um, because he has one of the hardest shots I've ever seen. Uh, he actually—I didn't include it when I was writing about the signing—but in one of the handful of NHL games he played, he actually essentially accidentally knocked a guy out because the puck hit the guy in the head when he was trying to block a shot. I think it was a Tampa Bay Lightning player. Um, so that's obviously unfortunate. Uh, but he—I don't think he'll play in the NHL. He's the guy who you could call up if you have an injury and you need just a body to play, Um, but probably will not be a regular everyday guy there. Uh, He spent most of last season uh, split between the Red Wings and then the Grand Grand Rapids Griffins, which is their HL affiliate, and he played a lot with their top prospect down there and kind of helped be a mentor to him and help him you know, adapt to the professional game. So if anything, he'll be a good guy to have around the younger players. But of course he is, you know, probably hoping he can revitalize his career, but most likely will be the veteran guy in uh, in Ontario for hopefully most of the season.
0: I think it's really funny that you said that uh, Joachim Ryan could be a seventh defenseman. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, But we already have so many of those. Like
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're they're pretty much all seventh defensemen (laughs) except for Drew Dowdy. And maybe, maybe, depending on who you ask (laughs) and how they viewed his performance last year.
0: Who knows? I mean, I guess technically, technically, Derek Forbert is a first. Oh, God. He's a first-bearing defenseman. It hurts but... just to say
1: it. It hurts to say it.
0: <laughs> it really does. And and no offense meant, Derek Forward, but you're not very good.
1: Oh, Derek. I mean, can they just keep him around to do more of those, like, talks with Teddy thing? And he just hangs out with Teddy Purcell and, like, that's it? Because that'd be great.
0: God, like, okay. No offense again, Derek Forward, but... When he did that drawing with Drew, and he was like, it's a bird. I was like, okay, it's a chicken. And he goes, it's a turkey? I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. And, and you graduated from college? Maybe. <laughs> I guess, to be fair, there is a difference between being, like, book smart and being able to guess whatever it is the hell that Drew Doughty is smoking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it is california so <laughs> hey
0: it's all legal now okay <laughs> although i guess in the nhl it's still technically a banned substance for it's now a little, it's a little
1: don't ask don't tell i think
0: maybe but i think when when they do their like drug tests like they could get in trouble for having a little green stuff in there, their urine <laughs> anyway uh martin firk right isn't that his name sure is uh yoakim ryan they are both more than likely going to go to the ahl and play for mike stuthers and this leads me to a really interesting quote from nikita sherbach poor poor mango okay so nikita sherbach In an interview with a Russian sports journalist named Daria Tubotseva, I more than likely butchered that. So sorry to all of you who know Russian. Anyway, in an interview with her, he said something really interesting. He said, when I was put into the third line in the LA Kings AHL team, while they played a tough guy D on the second, I realized I needed to leave because Kings clearly weren't interested in me. And the coach's system was awful. Now, I don't know if he's talking about Mike Southers, who is a well-respected well-respected head coach in the AHL and who is uh, considered widely one of the best development coaches out there, or if he means Willie Desjardins and the Kings, who seem to have a typical system, and Mike Southers just sort of, fits his system around that mold. There's no clarification here, but I I find this quote fascinating because, you know, he's like, oh, well, they don't like me because they would rather play a a tough guy D on the second line. What are your thoughts here, Sarah?
1: It's interesting to see how the Curtis McDermott forward uh, experiment has come back to haunt us even here. Because uh, I certainly, you know, it, it's hard to get any stats on AHL stuff of like historically, like what line did someone play or when did that guy play up. But I do distinctly remember there were several games where they played McDermott at forward for reasons, um, and so that that has reared its head again. Um, it, it's it's interesting because he. He's not taking any personal responsibility for anything. Like, it it is true that, like, when he came in to the Kings, like, Desjardins took, like, one look at him and was like, "Mm, no, never mind. And so, like, yeah, that there is some truth into that of, like, the coach just not liking him or whatever. But at the same time, no one is handed anything. No one, you know, he doesn't deserve to play on the first line just because he was a first round draft pick at one point in time, you know? And so if he came into the AHL with a crummy attitude or like just not trying his hardest, like Stothers is not a guy who's going to go for that. Um So if he was hoping to find a, a coach who would just be like, ah, yes, you go play on the first line. Like, but Mike Stothers is not that guy. So, you know, I, I do think that, that whole situation could have been handled better and that maybe he has more promise than, than he showed with the Kings. But at the same time, it's now two organizations, the Kings and the Canadians who both saw the same thing from a player of, you know, not necessarily trying as hard and giving the most effort that he should have been giving. uh, and, And instead just kind of wanting to be given, you know, prime minutes and a prime spot on a team when he wasn't really meeting expectations. So it stinks because he's clearly a talented guy, but you know, you also, it's time to be an adult and, uh, you know, try a little harder.
0: I don't know about the Habs, but the Kings were clearly awful. I mean, they weren't even bad. They were just flat out awful all year round. So I gotta wonder how much of this is Sherbach just not, I don't know, fitting in with the system, the team being bad, or if it was an attitude problem, or maybe it was just a combination of all of the above. Yeah, I feel like it's probably
1: a little bit of everything. And, you know, he's going to go back home and play instead. So, you know, it's not like he's out of a job forever. <laughs> and, you know, if he goes and proves himself in the KHL and, you know, shows that he actually is a player who will, you know, be engaged and try hard and put out, you know, max effort. Maybe he'll be back in that. He's still very young. Uh, he could easily come back to the NHL in a couple of years if he wants to, but it's now two teams in a row that have been like, oh, no, thank you. So maybe he, he's uh, kind of done here.
0: Didn't we see that with, um oh, that player in Dallas? I think it was
1: Nichushkin, N- 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank, where, thank
0: you. I could not say that name.
1: <laughs> yeah, where he went, they he he left to go back to the KHL and then but then he came back to the NHL and he scored zero goals last year and played in like I don't I don't know that he played in all 82 games, but he certainly played in a lot of them and scored zero goals. And then the Stars bought him out because they were like, "Oh, never mind." Uh but he he initially left the Stars because there was like like the coach didn't like him and there were kind of personality conflicts and whatever. Um, and so he came back whenever the stars hired their new coach. Uh, but that clearly did not fix any of the issues because he, again, zero goals all season long as a regular player.
0: Yikes. So uh precedence is probably not on Nikita Sherbach's side. All right. So, you know, we have a new coach and we did talk about, the Kings AHL system. Do you think with Todd McClellan, we will see another change with the AHL team? Because I know Mike Suthers is looking at this mostly from a development perspective. Because his whole philosophy, at least since uh, he's joined the Kings, has always been sort of: if you work hard, you'll play, and if you work hard and you'll you play, then you will more than likely have success. He's not here to kind of inspire the team and motivate them. If you're willing to work hard, then he's willing to help you. But if you're not willing to put in the work, then he's like, all right, whatever. So now that we have Todd McClellan, so now that we have Todd McClellan, I'll be interested to see, especially because as you mentioned, Sarah, this is primarily going to be a very young squad. We're not going to have a ton of veterans like we've had in years past. So be interested to see if anything philosophically changes and if anything trackable, like with their deployment and and how their, their system is, I'll I'll be interested to see if any of that changes. You know, I think that
1: like with the long-term investment in, Todd McClellan, whether or not we think his contract should be as long as it is or not, like, he's obviously going to have some stylistic changes, you know, he's going to implement his own system, and I know that at the AHL level, it's getting more common to to have the AHL squads essentially playing the same kind of system as they do in the NHL, and there's some teams that do it differently, but more often than not, the hope is that when you call a guy up, you can just plunk him into a game and he's not going to have to suddenly be like, wait, is this like zoned defense? Is this man to man defense? What am I supposed to be doing? Like they should just be able to do it because they are running kind of a similar system. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any changes in the way that Stathers uses players based off of what McClellan is expecting guys on the Kings to be able to do when they're on the ice. Um, but yeah, I mean, his main philosophy is like, I want you to succeed. So I never have to see you again. And I'm sure that there's players who are glad to not have to see him again because he's very old school. He's very like he, he's, he, he just, he he's just a coach that there aren't many like him anymore. Um from playing systems on down to the way he interacts with anybody. Uh, he, he is kind of one of a kind at this point, but I, I, I have the feeling not a whole ton will change. Uh, he's probably a little stuck in his ways too, and isn't going to want to implement a whole new system just because, but uh, I think that if they want to get the most success out of those guys to have them come up to the Kings, that they should all be, kind of on the same page at both levels.
0: Yeah, I know Mike Sethers is pretty old school, but he does genuinely care about his players. So I'll be really interested to to see what changes. If anything, maybe nothing changes, because I feel like Todd McClellan's system isn't wholly different from what the Kings have been trying to accomplish, really, over the last... I don't know, since they've had Andy Murray, really. I'm uh, not, sorry, not Andy Murray. Um, <laughs> sorry, I meant Terry Murray. <laughs> I got the Murray right. It's half, you know, half the battle. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, they were only separated by, what, like, yeah, 12, too much. <laughs> 15, 15 years, something like that. <laughs> Andy Murray is one of the most successful Kings coaches in history. <laughs> And Terry Murray was fired after two and a half seasons. (laughs) And then Dean Lombardi came in and blamed the players. And he's like, you guys are terrible. And I had to fire Terry Murray. So his job loss is on your heads. If that were actually a
1: Dean Lombardi speech, it would be like 45 minutes long and contain three references to like baseball and also the fall of the Roman Empire. (laughs)
0: I'm sure it did, but it's really well known that (laughs) while they were on the road, and I think they were in Boston or something when Terry Murray got fired, Dean Lombardi came in and he essentially blamed the whole team. I don't know exactly what was said, but knowing Dean Lombardi, I'm sure he referenced Derek Jeter and the Yankees and... (laughs) I I think they they were just so inspired to never hear this speech again, that they were like, all right, let's do this. FTF, wait, FTF was in 2014, but, you know, (laughs) precursor to For the Fellas.
1: I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that.
0: (laughs) Well, now he's over ruining the the flyers.
1: Hey, they signed Andy (laughs) Andrioff.
0: I'm so sorry, flyers. I mean, you tried to get all of our leftovers from... Ron Hextall to Jordan Wheel, and now you've got Dean Lombardi and Andy Andriot, So You think they'd want Jeff Carter back? God please, yes, because maybe going back to Philly, and look, his wife is from New Jersey, so maybe he'll be inspired if they go back closer to her home. And, you know, being in New Jersey is a lot closer to Ontario than California is. Even though we have an Ontario here, it's not the same Ontario, Jeff. And he he's still on a beach. This one just gets
1: snow. Like, I think that it could if if the Kings ever have to trade him anywhere, I I'm really into the like karmic full circle of somehow finding a way to send him back to Philadelphia.
0: Actually, this is a really good segue into my next talking point. Nice. So NHL Network the other day they tweeted. Should the LA Kings look to move any of these players? And it's Drew Doughty, Kopitar, Quick, Brown, and Carter. Drew Doughty has an $11 million cap hit for eight years, and he's going to be 30 in December. Kopitar just turned 32, I think, or he's about to turn 33. I can't remember. But $10 million for five more years. Quick is $5.8 million for four more years, and he's 33. Dustin Brown is 5.875, 3 more years. And he's 34. Carter, 5.273 million. Gotta love those backdiving deals. 5.273 million for three more years. Also, 34 years old. So, should the LA Kings look to move any of these players? I say yes.
1: I mean, the answer is yes. But I feel like the answer, like... Their market value is so low at this point that you're going to get back a seventh round pick (laughs) which stinks um and i I think that it's just no one knows what rob blake's vision is other than just like giant shrug emoji because if he wanted to like instantly get better (laughs) we could get a lot better by subtraction but if they're not bringing players back they have no bodies to put in those holes other than Ontario Rain players, and we saw how that went last year, and it was bad. They, I, I'm hoping that many of those players. I mean, no, he, they're never going to trade on Jacob Pitar, Like, I mean, maybe in his like last year or whatever. Like, but he's well, probably here forever.
0: But like, he has a full no, no move clause, so yeah, so he's and I think- here forever. I think Dowdy has one. I think he has a no-trade clause. Yeah. I like, don't think he has a no-move clause. But Kobachar and- definitely has a no-move clause. And I am yeah. like,
1: damn. <laughs> and so, like, I'm hoping that you know maybe Jeff Carter has a bounce-back year. And then at the trade deadline, you can ship him out to somewhere that will want him. Ideally, Jonathan Quick maybe has a bounce-back season. Jeff Carter has a bounce-back season. And then if the Kings aren't in contention of anything at the play, at the uh, trade deadline that you look to, to, to ship some people out and yeah, fans are going to be mad, especially if the return is not good, but you know, Rob Blake shouldn't be sitting around doing thinking like, Oh no, what are the fans going to think? Like he needs to do his job, which is build a hockey team. But at the same time, you don't want to just get rid of a player for nothing or, you know, have to eat salary or give away you don't want to get in a situation where someone's like, "Well, I'll take Jeff Carter off your hands, but you also have to give me, you know, Alex Dracott. like that's a no. <laughs> like you just stick it out with with the last however many years of Jeff Carter's contract for that. Um, I, I, I'm really just hoping that all of these guys have, you know, seasons where they bounce back enough to either prove that they have something left in the tank to give to the kings and therefore make themselves worthwhile or, they prove that they have something to offer to another team and then they go away.
0: The bright side is that Carter Brown and quick are signed for three and four quick is four years. So Brown and Carter are only signed for three more years. And then uh, Jonathan quick is signed for four more years. So let's see, we are entering the 2020 night. Well, 2019, 2020 season, and then I think the lockout is going to be in 2021-22, right? Because I think that's when Seattle is going to enter the league.
1: Yeah, I think Seattle enters the next the season after the hypothetical quote-unquote lockout. Um, so I think that the potential lockout is 2021-22, and then Seattle is 22-23, I think. Right, they, they, they certainly timed it in a very good conspiracy theory sort of way.
0: Oh, conspiracy theories. I love conspiracy theories. Anyway, hypothetically, in terms of the lockout, I think that would be only just one year left on their contracts for Brown and Carter, and then two years left for Jonathan Quick. So theoretically, if we do have a lockout, which since the cap only went up half a million dollars, it feels pretty uh imminent imminent i don't it, it feels like it's 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 going to happen um theoretically if it's the same as the lockout last time where they get those compliance buyouts i really hope that rob blake is not like oh i have a cbo i don't need to use these on anybody or like he he just isn't like Ah, there's only two more years of quick. Like, it's cool. We don't we don't need to use our CBO on him because no, you you absolutely do. Like, I'm so sorry, Jonathan Quick, but your back has disintegrated to the point right now where I'm like, how are you standing? And if it's not his back, like seriously, his groin worries me. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think that. I mean, we also will have the um, the expansion draft for Seattle, so someone someone will go to there, uh, whoever whoever that is. Uh, maybe I don't think maybe I don't think teams are going to be quite as uh, as eager to make deals as they were with Vegas because they saw how that backfired on them, um, aka. Everything the Florida Panthers chose to do in in that expansion draft, so some someone from the Kings will go there, uh, and knock on wood that it's maybe one of these players who we would we we love very dearly for all that they have given to the franchise, but uh, they can go be a veteran leader somewhere else, and get paid by someone else.
0: Yeah, well, Kopitar and Dowdy because of their contract status they would have to be protected. So those two are automatically protected. Uh, Dustin Brown, I think, would be left exposed if he's... Wait, yeah. Brown and Carter, I think, would still be here. Because it's not worth using a CBO on somebody who only has, like, one year left. I don't know if it'd be worth using a CBO on Jonathan Quick, but I feel like it would, especially just because it's, like... That's kind of a hefty cap hit 5.8 million dollars that's almost six million dollars and especially right now the cap is 81 and a half million and then you have six million dollars of that wrapped up in your goalie and one who is right now he he definitely has an injury history i think the compliance like i said earlier i think using a compliance buyout on quick if and this is a big if, because we don't know how things are going to shake out, if there even is going to be a lockout or whatever. So, you know, if there is a lockout and if they they are offered compliance buyouts, I still think it would be worth it for $6 million to be used on Jonathan Quick, because a regular buyout would be <laughs> a regular buyout is just just not worth it. And I think, hey. On the bright side, by then, um, Ilya Kovalchuk will have his contract up, right?
1: Yeah, he is up in, his last season is 2020-21. So he has this season and next season.
0: So his contract should end before our theoretical lockout. Yeah. So at least they, they'll have a bright spot there. <laughs> Oh, Ilya. Well, on the other bright side, they did decide to use a regular buyout on Dion Phaneuf. Shockingly, he hasn't found a new team to play with yet. Oh, hmm. I wonder why.
1: <laughs> yeah, He posted a lot of fishing pictures on Instagram, though.
0: I don't know what it is about hockey players, but apparently if you're going to be in the NHL, you have to be really into hip hop, really into country, and really into fishing, like those are mandatory yeah. to be an NHL player.
1: They're just a bunch of good old country boys. God, sometimes
0: <laughs> I'm I'm skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Crown Conversations, a jewels from the Crown podcast. I still have with me highly esteemed managing editor, Sarah. And I think to wrap up our podcast here, I think we should talk about conspiracy theories just because it's fun. Oh, 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 wait, wait, before we do that though, I did want to mention something. So I was in the supermarket today and I noticed that they have Halloween candy out already. And I just was so mad because look, Right after Labor Day, when the supermarkets and the big retailers start putting out their Halloween candy, I'm like, okay, great. Hockey is just around the corner. And then it's not. This is like a false flag. Stupid American capitalism. I'm so mad because we still have like two more months to go. And it was just like, ah, I feel like I got my hopes up for nothing.
1: But you do have candy. So in the grand scheme of things... Mega conspiracy because the candy is trying to fool you into thinking that we're closer to October than we really are. But there's lots of candy available to buy. So I hate it, but I also like it.
0: It's too early, Sarah. If I start buying Halloween candy now, it's going to be gone like tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I have no self-control. I'm always like... (laughs) Okay, I'll just have one piece. And then one piece is like, ooh, that was really tasty. You know what? I'll just have, okay, they're they're small. I'll just have one more piece. One piece turns into 10. And then I'm sitting there super bloated and hating myself and going, my God, why did I do this?
1: To bring it full circle, that's when you go watch the Adrian Kempe workout videos that he posts to Instagram for like inspiration and or feeling real bad about yourself.
0: It's more like feeling bad about myself because, well, it in- okay, it'll okay. it inspire me to go to the gym. And then once I go to the gym, I'm like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'll just kind of lay there and watch Adrian Kempi work out on Instagram.
1: Exactly.
0: And then I feel even worse about myself because I'm like, oh, why, why can't I be that strong and great and, you know, in, in shape and Work out that hard. And then I'm like, I have actually no motivation to do anything other than watch TV and eat candy and sit on my butt. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) All right. Well, to close out the show, let's talk conspiracy theories. So, Sarah, you brought up a conspiracy theory for um, the lockout. What is your conspiracy theory regarding the lockout?
1: I mean, it's it's conspiracy theory, but also like is probably actually demonstrably true of how they started Seattle. The the start date for the Seattle to be named laters uh, is the year after when a lockout would be. Uh, And there had been discussion before of having them start, you know, in what we think of as will be the lockout season. Uh, And then once all was said and done. Oh, look, it's the next season. Uh, And of course, the actual logical reasons are time for construction for the stadium, which seems like that's a good plan because I believe that's already kind of behind schedule. Uh, But whenever everything first started getting announced about timelines, uh, the first reaction was, oh, so Seattle's not going to start until after the lockout. Uh, And like, oops, look at that. surprise the lockout that we're not planning for we've planned for suspicious what's your favorite conspiracy theory
0: Ooh, that's a good question um i'm gonna go with the tried and true of east coast bias i love east coast bias because it feels so true the way the united states geographically is set up is stupid you have like 60,000 cities crammed onto the Eastern seaboard. And with that comes, I think, almost half. Well, probably not half, but probably at least a quarter of NHL teams. Whereas in the Western Conference, it's super spread out. In California, I know you have three teams, but technically none of them are coastal cities. Like San Jose isn't really a coastal city. Los Angeles is technically not a coastal city. Anaheim is definitely not a coastal city. And I guess that's pretty true of a lot of the cities on the East Coast. So we'll, we'll just call the California teams, like, mostly coastal. Other than that, and then I guess Seattle, which actually is on the coast. Um, oh, and Vancouver. Th- those are the only other two teams that you have that are really actually on the seaboard uh you know which are actually close to the land border where the land meets the ocean you know then you have arizona you have colorado denver really um you have obviously the alberta teams those are all landlocked teams in the sense that they're not on the coast so and and To bring it back to East Coast bias, because the majority of even PHWA, Professional Hockey Writers Association, I think the split is about 60-40, technically, of writers who live in an Eastern time zone versus those who live in a Central or Pacific time zone. So East Coast bias, because... Nobody wants to stay up three hours later. Not that I blame them, because by the time the games start out here, it's already 10, And you're like, I need to go to bed. I got things to do in the morning other than stay up till 1 a.m. watching the Kings try to slug through yet another game against a bad team. Oh, you
1: just just described my whole entire season just about... <laughs>
0: Yeah, but you live
1: in the Midwest. Yeah, I get one hour, one hour difference, and it makes a ton of difference. Like, anytime I'm out on the East Coast and I try to watch a Pacific Zone game, I'm like, this is terrible. This, And especially for a bad game.
0: <laughs> I know, painful. it's crazy. Like, I have been on the East Coast. I was in New York, you know, because I asked for the Los Angeles game. The bartender looked at me like I have three hats, but. That's, you know, pretty typical of New York. But it was so hard to watch that game. I was already jet lagged. I was starving. I was drinking alcohol. And I was like, all I really want to do is really just crawl into bed. And that game was just, it was a slog. Like the Leafs and the Kings. I think that was a Bernier shutout game. But it felt like it was a typical Kings game. Where they just throw everything and hope something sticks and nothing was happening. And then the Leafs get like a lucky goal. Well, not a lucky goal, but they get a goal from like a stupid defensive breakdown and you're going, oh, damn it. But it's so hard to watch it when you're on the East Coast. And that's why
1: Andre Kopitar never wins anything.
0: <laughs> hey, he, he is a silky winner, man. He is silky smooth. <laughs> And Drew Doughty finally has his Norris. That's another conspiracy that I like. I don't know if it's really a true conspiracy so much as it it probably is just actual truth, but the Writers Association, they tend to reward less on merit and more based on, well, so-and-so hasn't won it and they're a pretty good player.
1: That sounds plausible.
0: Because, like, I think the year that drew won. I was like he wasn't very good this year why is he winning a Norris (laughs) it's like
1: extra super rewarding for past performance
0: yeah really I mean so the the writers association they're like the GMs of you know hockey writers in the sense that we reward based on past performance not based on actual current performance or we are paying for what we hope will be a future performance of somebody in their prime.
1: What I really like is now that they release all of the ballots, um, there's always like one totally random vote. Like this didn't happen, but like imagine like Derek forward getting like one Norris vote. And then you're like, (laughs) who did that? Who? And like, now you can find out who and be like, what, what were you doing? Uh, So I, I find that fascinating now that you can, you don't have to cobble together from like a hundred different writers' Twitter feeds uh, to see what they did. Uh, you can actually find out who gave like Alec Martinez one vote for something. Uh, but that 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 always delights me is is finding out the wacky votes.
0: Yeah, did I think it was Edmonton? Like, didn't they give somebody? Like, some wacky vote. God, I can't even remember. It feels like it was so long ago that the votes and the winners were announced, when in reality, I think it was, like, seven or eight weeks ago. Yeah,
1: it was literally, like, last month.
0: (laughs) I know! (laughs) Why is time, like, simultaneously (laughs) flying and crawling by? What? How do you do this time? Like, how? (laughs) Ugh. Oh, another one of my favorite conspiracy theories is that the league is totally against Edmonton. I don't know how or why, but somehow the league is in it for Edmonton. Like, they they have it in it for them. Despite the fact that Edmonton won, what was it, like, five straight number one picks. And they have the best freaking player on the freaking planet. They're like, one of their, a couple of their writers are like, oh. God, why is the league just, like, so against Edmonton? Nobody likes us. Like, it's not our fault. Like, ugh, I think it's Mark Spector.
1: Probably. I personally would prefer to blame that one on, like, witchcraft or something.
0: <laughs> they have the That's best the freaking only player in the freaking world. And they somehow cannot find a competent GM to build a team around him.
1: They just have to figure out how to clone him. And then the whole team is like 14 Connor McDavid's. And then we're all doomed.
0: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, the Kings still in, I think, the decade plus that Kopitar has been in the league. They haven't found anybody to play with him. But also, as much as I love Andre Kopitar, he is not the best player in the world. He's great. He's the best player from Slovenia but that doesn't make him the best player in the world. Connor McDavid, on the other hand, really is the best player in the world. Like, he does... It's crazy watching him, because he does these things where you blink and you go, wait, what? How? He's in his defensive zone, and all of a sudden, he's scoring a goal against your team, and you're like, when did you get here? How did you get here? How did you... The The puck wasn't even... And then you just, he leaves you speechless because he's the best player on the world.
1: I went to a game a couple years ago in Washington, D.C., and it was the Capitals and the Oilers. Um, and I just happened to be in town at that time. And, you know, was fully expecting, like, oh, Vashkin's going to get a hat trick. And then McDavid's going to get a hat trick. And then it's going to go into overtime. Like, it ended up being the most boring hockey game possibly that i've ever seen i think it ended up being like 1-1 and then it went to a shootout or something um and i don't think either of them did anything noteworthy like all the people who scored were just like randoms i was like come on Connor mcdavid like how dare you how dare you disappoint me
0: i am here to see you play against ovechkin and you disappoint me so terrible yeah, I, I wish that I could see Connor McDavid play in person, but even for the cheap seats, SAP Center is ridiculously overpriced. Like I looked at a game, uh, I think it was last year or the year before that. I don't remember. Um, it was like a hundred and ten dollars for the the cheap seat, the nosebleeds essentially, and I'm going, uh, no, that's not happening.
1: I'm just thinking about the, the tickets I bought at the end of the season at the at Staples, and it was like ten dollars.
0: Everybody giving up on the team. Yeah, but was this yeah. was this before or after they had been officially eliminated? Because oh my god, when they finally got eliminated, it felt like forever. Until yeah. they they finally had that E by their name. I'm going, how have they not been eliminated yet? Which is the craziest thing. You're going, I can't. I can't understand why they would not be eliminated yet. And but it's it's funny because you're just like everybody else is hoping to see that X by their name. You know, I'm going. Where's my E?
1: <laughs> we're like, just end it. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure they were, they were already eliminated uh, by the time I got out there last season. Um, and then, you know, here in Chicago, like, the Blackhawks ended up like being exciting towards the end of the year, which totally (laughs) ruined my plans to just go see all the hockey because they ended up... They they still lost all the games, but they would lose by, like, six to five. So people would at least want to go to the games because they're like, this game might be crazy. Uh, And so the season before, I went to a ton of games. I think I saw, like, Vancouver. It was one of the Sedin's last games, and they came to Chicago. I went because um because i i had the feeling that the citizens were going to announce their retirement and i had never seen them play just so i could say oh yeah i saw them once uh but i think the ticket was like 8 bucks because it was two bad teams and no one really cared but uh they ended up being just interesting enough this past year to uh really really just ruin all my plans
0: typical <laughs> Don't they know you're a girl on a budget? Like, come on, guys. Honestly. Well, they still ended up ahead of the Kings anyway, which Yeah. <sighs> there there there's the East Coast bias again.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ottawa, for holding it down at the bottom.
0: What number did um well, I think Colorado picked 3rd, but that was Ottawa's pick, right? Yeah, I think they were they were
1: 4th f- maybe. I think the Blackhawks were 3rd. Yeah, because it was Devils, Rangers, Blackhawks, and then Colorado via o- via Ottawa, and then the Kings.
0: They can't even tank right. Nope. So okay, so this is why I love the East Coast bias conspiracy theory so much because it's just a conspiracy theory that just keeps on giving. Because your top three were um, the Devils, the Rangers. And the Blackhawks. So everybody knows that Rangers and Blackhawks are 06 teams. And they are beloved. The Blackhawks especially. Because I think the Blackhawks are still getting outdoor games. Or has that finally stopped? Are they are they gonna play indoors for eighty-two games finally? Think so. Maybe. <laughs> They're gonna the Black- just make up one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 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 Blackhawks for some reason, I guess, because they're a big Midwestern city. They they've always had a pretty good crowd, pretty good draw. So you know, they get all the the best games. They get they get to play outside. Everybody wants to be their opponent or whatever. So of course, the Blackhawks are gonna be third, and the Devil. I don't know why the Devils got number one. I think it's just because they couldn't give it to the Rangers to be number one. That's my conspiracy theory. They couldn't have the Rangers be number one because it's too obvious.
1: I feel like Henrik Lundqvist deserves at least some happiness.
0: Do you want to know my conspiracy theory for why the Maple Leafs didn't get Connor McDavid? Yes. Because just like with the Rangers, it'd be too obvious that the lottery is fixed. So they said, (laughs) okay, this is going to be our final year giving Edmonton number one. And if they can't make it work with this this prodigy, this person who's supposed to be like the best player on earth, then they don't deserve it anymore. And so they promised Toronto the following year. They said, we know that he's not Connor McDavid, but he's going to be amazing and he's going to be great for your team. So you guys are going to get Austin Matthews. I like it. Yeah, I know it's a totally random conspiracy theory, and I'm sure that it really is totally random that all the balls are drawn and L.A.'s luck is just, it was crap all year long. So it just fits that they would end up number five as the worst possible outcome. Because Murphy's Law, whatever, you know, (laughs) it, it just, it just fits that they would, of course, after doing all this work to tank, of course they would end up picking number five. And of course, you know, what they ended up picking, like, a really great uh, player, or at least we hope he's going to be a really great player. But it just, it fits the motif, the theme of their season last season to do all this work to tank and then still pick fifth. Worst possible outcome? Absolutely. That's the LA Kings. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've, babbled on long enough. I don't have anything else to to talk about. How about you, Sarah? Uh, If you like ranking
1: teenagers and young 20-somethings, make sure that you check out our Top 25 Under 25 poll. It is running until the end of the evening on Wednesday, aka the end of the month. Uh, You get to choose 25 young men and rank them in an order that is most pleasing to you, but hopefully one that makes sense, aka who are the best players in the King system. Uh, so make sure you go on to the website, and that post should be one of the first ones you see on the page uh, to go
0: and rank some children. I feel like outside of the top, I don't know, four or five, it's kind of a wash. It's just
1: like a giant shrug emoji, but unfortunately we can't run 25 articles, or twenty like three articles that are just the shrug emoji. <laughs> Why not? I mean we could. We could. But uh I'd feel some journalistic integrity impulse to provide
0: actual content. Journalistic integrity. Ha. <laughs> Sounds gross. <laughs> We're not journalists. We get we don't get paid to do this. <laughs> We're, we're volunteers. We we do this because we're probably slightly masochistic and we, we do love the Kings. We genuinely, genuinely do love hockey. And even if the Kings are bad, we still like watching them and potentially, well, okay, maybe not. I don't know about Sarah, but I actually do like making fun of the Kings. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I came on
1: board right at the time where all I could really do was make fun of them. Welcome aboard
0: to this. Crappy team <laughs> since 2015 when you were like, "Hmm, these guys are super interesting." Wait a second. Oh, you know what? Okay, so we fooled you. This—that's it. It's all your
1: fault, Sarah. We're gonna. It. It is. It is. I'll. I'll. I'll take this one. It's. It is kind of all my fault.
0: It, as soon as you were like, "Okay." I like the Blackhawks, yes, but I think I'm going to become a fan of these LA Kings. Like that's when they started to suck. I, I mean, we're, we're not going to like everything. <laughs> we're totally not going to like dig into their problems of never filling in their their depth gaps or uh, addressing any issues with the team and handing out bad contracts. Like handy, nope, nope. We're just going to blame you. Oh, me? That's a good conspiracy theory. I like it. I think that's a good way to end. Nice. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Sarah for joining me once again. The next podcast is again TBD, but hopefully sometime in August, uh, potentially the middle of August. I will update you guys on that. But if you ever have any questions or podcast suggestions, feel free to hit me up. I am At Robin, R-O-B-Y-N, underscore J-F-T-C on Twitter. Or you can hit up the J-F-T-C main account on Twitter, which is J-F-T-C underscore Kings. Mm. And or you can always uh, hit up Sarah and flood her mentions. She is at Go or Go Ahead on Twitter. So find us on Twitter, Twitter. And uh, also, I would like to thank everybody who gave us feedback about audio issues. We are currently working through that. Hopefully, fingers crossed, this podcast is a little bit better with sound quality. But it is a work in progress, so we definitely appreciate your patience. And uh, definitely leave us a comment below on our podcast page. if you, Any thoughts at all about The King's? or anything that you would love to hear us talk about, let us know. And uh, thanks again, Sarah.
1: You're welcome. Thanks, everyone.